0: Um, You know, it matters. It matters. You know, it's interesting because when you uh, look at life, there are some things that matter. Right? We believe that there are some things that matter. For example, what matters to me is that everyone knows under the sound of my voice that mayonnaise is the spawn of Satan. I hate mayonnaise, I hate it with a passion. <laughs> you know, when I go to um, uh, Subway, you know, and they're cutting my sandwich, I ask them to please wash the knife because I do not want mayonnaise touching my sandwich. That matters to me, right? But another thing that matters to me is my fifth grade teacher, Miss Land. Miss Land showed me that I had value. You know, I was a kid that grew up with a speech impediment. You know, I didn't learn like the other kids did. You know, and from that, I suffered from an identity problem. And so my fifth grade teacher pushed me. I would just make mediocre grades. But in Ms. Land's class, when she turns over a desk, no, you're not going to make no mediocre grades. Ms. Land pushed me. She pushed me. And she showed me that I had value. You know, another thing that matters to me are my beautiful kids, my four boys and my baby in heaven. That matters to me. We were told that we were never going to have kids. And, and uh, we were very, God just blessed us, to be honest with you. He blessed us. And I'm so grateful for that because not too many people can have that particular blessing. And I just thank God for that. My kids matter to me, and what matters most to me is that my kids know that I want them above everything else, above all of of sports, above all of their talents and their giftings. I want them to know Jesus. I want them to be kingdom men first before anything else that matters to me. But another person that matters to me is my beautiful wife. Doctor now, only. I told her I would just say that one time. You know, a friend of mine, i just say his name, Bob told me this, he said, you know, cause I have a master's. Y'all know where I'm going with this, right? And I'm working on the second one, so she could call me master, right? Oh. Oh my yeah no that won't work <laughs> but my wife matters to me under the lordship of christ she is my joy she is my life she matters to me well maybe my fifth grade teacher ms land does not matter to you at all maybe you like mayonnaise as sick as that sounds But we can all agree on this, is that some things really matter to us and some things just don't matter at all. We can all agree on that. But have you ever thought about this? What matters to God? What really matters to the Lord God Almighty? So if you're uh, in chapter 5 of Matthew, we're going to look at verse 20. If you're physically able to do so, please stand with me as we read God's word. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Of heaven you will never enter the kingdom of heaven what matters to God what matters to God is faithfulness faithfulness being faithful my purpose this morning is to encourage you but also to challenge you to remain faithful Faithful to the kingdom, faithful to the church, faithful in your walk with Jesus, faithful. Pray with me. Father, we are so grateful for your grace. We're so grateful for your mercy, your love. Father, we celebrate this time of year, Father, because we know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. He was born to die for us. We are forever grateful. Lord, challenge our hearts this morning. Help us to understand what faithfulness looks like. We love you. And as always, use me as a vessel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we now live in a day and age where emotionalism, not facts, drive our discussions. We now live in a day and age where right is wrong and wrong is right. We now live in a day and age, listen to this, where letters that are capitalized are considered oppressive because it is a symbol of hierarchy. We now live in a day and age where justice and truth and equality are seen through the lens of Marxism and not the infallible sufficient word of God. Yes, I went there. So we as believers... In a society, in a world where our faithfulness and our values, our faithfulness to the kingdom, our faithfulness to the church, our faithfulness to our family, and our faithfulness in our walk will be tested. And listen to this can become dangerously distorted if we're not careful. So, what do I mean? We can easily distort the purpose of spiritual activities, going to church. Serving in the church, reading our Bibles, even praying can become mundane tasks that have no spiritual depth. So, before we dive into our passage, allow me to give us some, some context here to our passage. We are in the midst of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, and it is a, considered the greatest sermon of all time. It is the keystone of Jesus' teachings. And so contained in this Sermon on the Mount, we have the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer, the golden rule. Uh, It is three chapters long, but leading up to chapter 5, we see in chapter 1 of Matthew's gospel a genealogy that demonstrates that Jesus has the legal right to rule Israel. In chapter 2, it shows that the Magi, Gentile folks, if I might add, accept his kingship. Then we get into chapter 3, John the Baptist preaches repentance, which was necessary before the Davidic kingdom could be established. Then in chapter 4, we see the Spirit of God leading Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. But by resisting the devil's temptation, Jesus demonstrated, he proved to be morally worthy to rule. And he shows the condition of the kingdom by several miracles, and the, so the fame of Jesus was building in Israel. He was building in Israel. You got to think about this: a, a prophesied Messiah, a deliverer, is here. He's finally come. And now, in chapter five, Jesus, the Christ, delivers the ethic of the kingdom. If Christ is going to, listen to this, if Christ is going to be their king, there is a certain behavior that follows. Jesus is showing what this behavior looks like. So in this passage, Jesus goes up to the mountain. He is preparing his disciples, teaching them, because they are going to be sent out to be faithful witnesses with the message that Christ has given them. And so in your Bibles, chapter 5, Verse 1, seeing the crowds he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he taught them. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Jesus takes an authoritative position of teaching here. He takes an authoritative position of teaching. He sits down. Whatever Jesus is about to say to his disciples is very, very, very important, And so the next eight verses show the reward in character of true Christ followers. Shows the reward in character of true Christ followers. If you want to know what a true follower of God is, what he looks like, this is it. We commonly call it the Beatitudes. Verse 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11 says, blessed are you when others revile you and, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And then he goes on in verse 12, he says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see how Jesus gives the character quality and the reward? Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the character quality. Those poor in spirit are not those who lack courage or, and enthusiasm, but those who are spiritually bankrupt and utterly dependent upon God for daily living. One scholar noted this. The poor in spirit are those who have been convinced of their spiritual poverty All without Christ are wretched, blind, naked, and poor. One of the major problems, listen, one of the major problems today in our world, even in our churches, is that they are not convinced of their spiritual poverty. Only by comparing ourselves to our holy God, we can understand how we can get to this point. We compare ourselves to God, not man. We compare ourselves to God, not Buddha, as far as a holy standard. We cannot reach it. He is the measuring stick. Listen, to not feel this poverty is to not understand who God is. Character quality, and then the reward. Bless all the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so, with these first 12 verses... This is what an authentic follower of Jesus looks like. And so in light of this, when that kind of character is lived out, Jesus says in verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. One scholar shed some light on this metaphor used here in this passage says, this statement makes an allusion to the city of Magdala, also known as terakeia, salted fish. Now, Mary Magdalene was from this area. Magdala was the lakeside center for the salting and preservation of fish. Jesus describes disciples' role on the earth by using metaphors, salt, light, salt, Light. Notice Jesus did not say, listen to this, notice Jesus did not say you will become salt. You will become light. Jesus said you are salt. You are light. Salt is distinctive. Salt is distinctive. It is not like anything else. The power of just one grain can make a difference. Salt preserves Salt preserves. Salt keeps things from decaying, going bad. It cleanses it and de- it disinfects. Salt also penetrates. You place salt on the exterior of a big, beautiful steak, and what it does—I know y'all mouths are watering now. But what it does is it draws out the moisture in the steak. Then the salt dissolves in this moisture and creates a brine that is then reabsorbed back into the steak. Really good. (laughs) Salt also flavors. Salt influences the taste of food. Salt can be. I mean, salt can take food that is bland and tasteless, and, and make them very enjoyable to eat. You know, have you ever gotten a piece of food that you were like, "Okay, this is, needs something else," and you start pouring salt? I never did that. My wife, she's a good cook. Salt creates a thirst. It creates a thirst. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus told his disciples, you are distinct and different from everyone else. You look different, you walk different, you talk different. And the only one that can take away our sin and cleanse us within is nothing but the blood of Jesus. That is why it's so important for us as believers to be representatives of the king and penetrate this world and insert a new life into it by proclaiming that Jesus saves. The only way we can do that is by being an influence, living what we proclaim, creating a thirst so people can taste and see that the Lord is good. See, salt was a valuable commodity in the ancient world. Jesus used the verb are. You see, in both metaphors to indicate the state of Jesus' disciples, this was not an action they just performed or strived to achieve. This is who they are. We are to be faithful examples of Jesus. Jesus Christ himself representing the king of this new kingdom. We should be distinctive in our character, impacting the culture with the truth of the gospel. But then, it gets into a portion where it seems a little bit odd. I mean, Jesus is talking about this, and it gets into this portion in verse 17. It says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. It says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, I'm not going to get into all the nuances and details of the law. You can actually deliver several messages from this. But allow me to elaborate on on these three verses a little bit. There are two parts of the law. You have the moral law and the ceremonial law. Now, the moral law is an expression of God's character. It's an expression of God's character. The ceremonial law was added because of the transgression of the moral law. Y'all following me, right? So one is changeless and eternal, while the other is provisional and temporary. The moral law cannot be altered because God cannot be altered. The law of God is perfect. Listen, Jesus was obedient to the moral law, even to the point of death. One pastor put it this way. I love how he said this. He said, Jesus didn't come to discard or abolish the law. He came to display the intent of the law. The Old Testament was the gospel in bud, but the New Testament is the gospel in bloom. Listen, Jesus is the law with skin on. He is the law and the prophets in living color. If the nation of Israel could have lived out the scriptures perfectly, it would have looked like the prince of peace, the lamb of God, the indescribable gift, the breath of life, the prophet, the priest, the king, Jesus, the son of the living God. He puts it on display. He doesn't discard it. The son of a missionary said this, We do not need the light of stars when the sun has risen. But the stars are still shining. It's good. But now we arrive here at our focal point, verse 20. The very focal point of this entire passage. Jesus is at this mountain. He's looking at his disciples. He's teaching them, and and he says to them, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Watch this here: the scribes and Pharisees. This now this is the first time that these two names or titles, if you will, uh, occurred together. Scribes were considered professional students and teachers of halakha. Halakha is the explanation and practical application of the law as it pertains to various daily aspects of human conduct. Now, the Pharisees, they started out good, they started out good. Many scholars believe that they emerged from the Maccabean revolt. Now, we understand the Maccabean revolt being that 400 years of silence, if you will. You know, during that particular time between Malachi and the New Testament, and we had the, the, uh, uh, the raid of uh, uh, Alexander the Great during this particular time. Antiochus Epiphanes, what he did was he desecrated the temple. And uh, a guy a priest by the name of Maccabeus, he wasn't having it. And so a revolt ended up happening. And so many scholars, they believe that this, uh, these Pharisees arose out of this particular revolt. They originally had a passion or a zeal for the law. They had a passion or a zeal for the law. What got them, in the fir- got them in the place they were in in the first place is because they were not obeying the law. They devoted themselves to the meticulous practice of the law with special emphasis on matters such as Ritual purity, tithing, and Sabbath observance. They had 613 main laws with multiple examples of each one. And on top of that, they had the Mishnah, the oral tradition that was handed down and and so forth. However, their zeal raised their addition to the law on the same level as God's law and sometimes even above it. This is why Jesus had some problems with them. These Pharisees, they practice a harsh legalism. As one scholar noted, he says they were the most outstanding religious leaders of, uh, of the time. They were recognized and revered by people. They determined the course of religious life in the nation. This is why, again, Christ tangled with them so much. Uh, and, and they also, they were people who claimed or appeared to have intense righteousness, Now, this is not on your outline, but you might want to write these down. They based their righteousness off of six things. Number one, religion. Religion. They were the most consistently religious people in Israel. Number two, birth. They were children of Abraham. They had retained purity of breed and and could trace their roots through genealogies. Number three, status. They were the most highly regarded people in the nation. Number four, performance. They kept the law with a vengeance, even to the point of growing hedges around the law. In essence, what they were saying is, this is the law right here. We're going to make a hedge around it. So if we don't do this, we won't commit this sin. But then they'll draw another hedge around this. If we don't do this, if we, don't, we won't do this, and then we won't commit this sin. And all this stuff, was, uh, it was building up, and they were calling the hedge of sin. Number five, conformity. Tradition was a key issue. They developed and kept it. Then number six, morality. They were very moral people who were generally clear of blame. Now, These disciples, these Jewish men grew up as kids, listen to this, listening to these Pharisees, teaching them about the law. They experienced the piety of these Pharisees. Can you imagine that these disciples like, what are you talking about? How on earth are we going to reach the level of these Pharisees? They're up there. They're righteous people. They are the epitome of righteousness. And Christ seems to hold them as examples. It, it, it seems as if he agrees with their, listen to this, outward claims. But Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. He knew exactly what he was doing. You see, the Pharisees have been uh, uh, wading through the water, if you will. But Jesus was trying to invite his disciples to swim. You see, the, the his, these Pharisees they have been working on and, and working on and practicing the scales, if you will. But Jesus was inviting them to play music. Jesus was inviting his disciples, as one pastor put it beautifully, to be trans, to a transform internal life rather than a conform external life. Y'all following me? There's no missing what Jesus is saying here. Jesus wants more than an outward obedience. He desires an inward move of surrender and obedience. We can do all day, you know, play all day and and, and look good on the outside, but what matters is in the inside. Let me tell you something. I grew up in church. I grew up in church. I played the drums in church. But I was far from God. But I put on a good face, just like the Pharisees, matters here in inward, internal obedience. Because our internal obedience will affect our outward obedience. Y'all following me? See, the the practice of good works and religious activity are merely the driveway. True righteousness is a matter of the heart. True righteousness is about relationship, not performance. The reason why Jesus was saying that your righteousness need to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees because they they had all the external religious activity, but their hearts were far from him. That is the difference between external righteousness, looking good on the outside, living off of performance, duty, or guilt versus internal righteousness. Listen, Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that that these Pharisees, what they were doing, they were doing. They were doing. Jesus wants his disciples being. They were doing, but Jesus wants his disciples being. Jesus do not want his disciples doing church. He wants them being the church. Jesus didn't want his disciples just doing things that make them look like a kingdom citizen. He wanted them to be kingdom citizens. You may be right now, you, right now you may be here as a kingdom citizen, follower of Jesus, going through something right now. You may be facing an illness right now or, or close to someone who is. You may be experiencing death of, of a family member or a friend, a loss of income due to, to the pandemic. Your car may be messing up. Going, you may be going through a messy divorce. You, you lost everything through natural disaster. Your husband or your wife are, are on a military deployment and you have the sense of unspeakable loneliness. But as a believer who is being internalizes 2 Corinthians 1.3. Blessed be the uh, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. But a believer who is being internalizes Psalm 68.10. Your flock found a dwelling in it. In your goodness, oh God, you provided for the needy. But a believer who is being internalizes, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my uh, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. A believer who is being internalizes this. Faithfulness in being means steadfastness, uh, steadfast loyalty that's not easily swayed to the left or to the right. Our faithfulness, listen, it's our faithfulness to God. Being faithful means that we trust him and love him through all circumstances. We trust him and that we love him through all circumstances. It means following him even when we rather choose a different path. Ladies and gentlemen, what does this mean to us? So what? These disciples were being taught to be kingdom citizens. What does this mean to us? Listen very carefully. As you leave this place, wherever you go, whenever you go, whatever you do, want you to always remember one thing, to remain faithful in being. Remain faithful in being. God has called us. Remain faithful in being. Our lifestyle have to match our talk. Remain faithful in being. Walk out your faith in a world that is faithless. We live in a world, y'all believe that, right? We live in a world that is faithless. We ought to be godly examples to a dying world, regardless of what we may be going through. We know we have the joy of the Lord because the joy of the Lord is our strength. We can look to him regardless of anything that come our way. Because he saves, he's in control. He delivers, he sets free. Being faithful to the end. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said this. He said, I know of nothing which I would choose to have as the subject of my ambition for life than to be kept faithful to my God till death. Ladies and gentlemen, let's be faithful. Let's be faithful witnesses of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus came down Knew what he was getting into, saved us. We have a responsibility to be faithful to the end. Yes, I understand the enemy is running rapid. We could face discouragement, we could face disappointment, we could face all of these things, but we know that God lives, God reigns. And if he's truly our Abba, we can call upon him in spite of. Be faithful. Pray with me. Father, you're so good to us. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Father, we ask that you would continue to minister to our hearts. I know that even during this season, there's a lot of heartache, a lot of brokenness, a lot of pain, even a lot of suffering. But through it all, Father, through it all, you are still good. And you are still faithful to us. So, Lord, I ask if we're struggling, if someone in this place is going through, having pain, the tragic uh, news that has come upon them or whatever it may be, Father, and, and they are, that walk with you are wavering and They are looking to just go a different route. Father, I pray that you would capture their hearts. Reassure them of who you are. Let them know you still reign. Father, I pray, Lord, for those of us in this place who need a fresh touch from you. Lord God, I pray, Lord, as we are in this invitation moment, Lord, they can come to the altar, reach out to you. Lord, I pray for those of, uh, who are in here who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus. Maybe because they've seen someone who displayed Christ in a wrong way. Maybe they are looking to people instead of looking to you. Lord, we all understand that we all fall, we all stumble, we all have issues. But Lord, we understand that you're righteous. You're holy, you're pure, you're perfect. Lord, and I pray that you will draw them to you. Allow them to look to you and not man, but help us to be examples of you. So they can see just a glimpse of what following Christ is all about and what He is all about, what you are all about. We thank you, God. Lord, we praise you, we honor you, we glorify you. And as we sing, Lord God, if there is anyone who needs a touch from you, let them come to the altar. If anyone is looking for church home, Father God. I pray they will come. Lord God, we give this time to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.